0: Jesus son of David have mercy on us and the crowd tries to quiet them down and you know the story they cry all the louder and Jesus asks them what would you have me to do what do you wish and they said Lord we want our eyes to be opened and here it is he moved right there and they moved with compassion he touched their eyes and immediately they received and, uh, their sight and followed him you see, Christ felt compassion, but it wasn't just the feeling in the gut. It was always expressed in actions. What would you have me to do? He felt compassion. Then he said, What would you have me to do? And they said, Lord, that we would see. And that's exactly what he's doing here with his people. They were hungry, and he had a compassion for them, a compassion that led to feeding them through this miraculous uh, display of this, this great feast that he multiplied. You know, we speak of God's love. Love is, when we tell this in wedding feast, you know, the husband needs to have more than just a a romantic love for the wife. It's that agape love, a love which acts. But it it starts with feeling. You feel it, but you also act upon that feeling. We have it in the table. Of course, God didn't just so love the world that he said, I love you. He sent his son, and the son, in that wondrous love, gave his life, became sin for us, suffered hell for us. In Isaiah 53, we're talking about it pleased the father to crush him. And he encountered our grief, and by his stripes we're healed. It's a love and a compassion that expresses itself in actual, actuality. Um, and Christ did that. Here he is in Gentile territory, the place where the people lived, the Pharisees, they looked down on a lot of people, but they really looked down upon the Gentiles, uh, not worthy of the Lord's love. But Christ shows us here that we are to show love and compassion to all men, even those who disagree with us, those who hurt us and hate us. It doesn't mean we like to like what they do or enjoy it, but we're to show his compassion to them. And William Hendrickson in his commentary on, on Mark "asks a question that we need to consider before we come to the Lord's table. Without compassion, can a person be a true follower of Christ? I'm going to break it down. Without compassion for others, can we really be saved? It's not the compassion that saves us, you know that, you know better. But can we really know firsthand what it is to have the mercy and compassion of a holy God to us and then refuse to show it to others? I'm not saying we won't have incidents where we slip up and have to repent and ask forgiveness. But it could be racism. It could be a husband who beats his wife or children who still goes to church and sings the hymns and all of that, teaches Sunday school. There are people who are like that. Can we really be a follower or a believer in Christ Jesus if we don't show his compassion. Again, it doesn't save us but if, if we don't have that compassion, we need to go to the Lord before we go to his table today because there's something amiss in our hearts. Jesus had that compassion and he expressed it. And he won't send the multitude away until he's dealt with, them, with their problem. He said they're hungry, they need the food, and then he feeds them, and it says they were satisfied, and then he sends them away. And that word in, that means satisfied is not just that they had a little bite to eat to hold them over till they could get home and, and get something more sustenance. Uh, it means to uh, have plenty to uh, fill, to satisfy. It's used to fattening animals when you're going to fatten the hog up for slaughter. I uh, remember Lindsay Hall had gotten a little pig, a grease pig at the fair or something, and wouldn't let the... I don't know if they ever butchered that thing or not, but she doesn't know about it, they did, but she didn't want to <laughs> raise it and eat it. But that's what hogs are for. Cats, too, for those who like them. Um, <laughs> but here in Revelation 19, it says, "...the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the sign, in the presence of which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, or the, the beast and the false prophet... It says, they were thrown into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone, and the rest, that is, those who followed the beast and the false prophet, the rest were killed with the sword, which came from the mouth of him who sat upon the horse, and all the birds were filled, that's the same word here, they were gorged, filled to the brim uh, with their flesh. So Christ, when he satisfies, he goes all the way for it. Having loved his own, he says he loved them to the end. So. He wouldn't send them away until he met their need. And the other thing, and it's an understatement of all understatements, but he can do what man cannot do. I mean, that's so obvious, but we forget it sometimes. Remember Mary, she said, how can this be? Uh, I'm a virgin. And Gabriel said, with God, all things are possible. The disciples are saying, where can we get enough food to feed these people? And we just need to remember, not only is Christ able to do it, but he's willing to do it he wants to do it the same word again where it says he felt compassion is the word you find in uh, i think luke 15 where it says the prodigal son comes home and the father saw him and felt compassion for him that inward feeling of love and runs out and falls upon his neck and kisses him and receives him back and we go to christ with our sins and our failures and our doubts and struggles and it doesn't mean they're okay but we go to him knowing that if we go with a repentant heart he receives us with that same love and compassion and he uh, Takes away that guilt, takes away that sin, and he helps us through that sorrow or that heartbreak or whatever it is that we're we're facing. I mean, these people went without food for three days. He went at least at one time forty days without food in the wilderness before his temptation. So he's the high priest who knows what we feel, and he says, "I'm ready and able to give you my bounty. Don't settle for a famine." So we see, first of all, the great compassion of Christ. Secondly, we see the multitude's great faithfulness. Christ again says, uh, I feel compassion for thee. They've been with me three days. They don't have food. And some of them have a long way to get back home before they can get more food. So he, he, he sees their faithfulness here, and they stay committed. Now, this is a little corny, perhaps. I have doubted debated whether I should even read it to you. Uh, but I did when I preached this sermon to you some, some 25 years ago. Most of y'all probably don't remember it, do you? Um, Funny how $100 looks so big when you take it to church, but so small when you take it to the mall. How Funny how long a couple of hours spent at church are and how short they are when watching a movie. Or how thrilled we get when baseball goes into extra innings, Scott and I call that free baseball, goes into extra innings, but we complain when the sermon is longer than the regular time. Or funny how hard it is to read a chapter in the Bible, but how easy it is to read 100 pages of the best-selling novel. Or how people want to get a front seat at any game of, or concert, but scramble to get the back seat at church. Uh, and I say that with apologies to those back there. If I didn't have to preach, <laughs> I didn't have to preach today. I'd rather be back there or in the balcony. <laughs> and then, funny how hard it is for people to learn a simple gospel well enough to tell others, but can hear a piece of gossip and not forget it and easily pass that on and so forth. The point is, the disciples were committed. Uh, excuse me, the followers of Christ, the multitude was committed to stay with him even though it was hard and uh, that's faithfulness, that's a, a commitment and we need to have that. Matthew Henry in his commentary says, they that have a full feast for their souls may be content with slender provisions for their bodies. It was an old saying among the Puritans, brown bread and the gospel are good fare. I like that. Brown bread and the gospel are good fare. The psalmist says it this way Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for to those who fear him, and get this, those who fear him, there is no, not some, not mostly not, there is no want. Not that we don't have problems and lack other things like, but he said, if you trust in me, you will not have a want, something that you really need that I won't let you have. For those who fear him, there is no want, and then he says it again this way, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. So regardless of what it is, and I don't minimize the problems of life here, but whatever it is that we need or whatever's hurting or the difficulties we have, if we will truly take them to Jesus Christ. He will meet our need and we will be satisfied. He will give us feast and not famine. It's what the 23rd Psalm is all about. A shepherd so that we shall not want, we won't lack. Green pastures, still waters. My head's anointed with oil, a table before me. Even in that valley of death that we come to, that Ann Stevens came to just recently, and Martha Ladder and others, and we're all gonna go there, but even in that valley of the shadow, he's there. And until we get there, he says, my goodness and mercy are like good dogs that follow you faithfully all through life until you get home to the Father's house. So we see the great mercy, compassion of our Lord uh, his tenderness toward the needy. We see the faithfulness of the multitude, and lastly, we see the disciples' weakness of faith. They say in verse 4, where will anyone be able to find enough to satisfy these men with bread? I was rewatching watching City Slickers. I hadn't seen it in a long time, and I can't imitate Billy Crystal. I wish I could, but I don't know if I've ever seen any movie in which at some point he doesn't say hello the way he says it and I could just see gee, Jesus wouldn't do this but when these disciples where are we going to get bread I can just see him turning and says, hello where were you when you were passing out the five bread baskets for the five thousand how soon do you forget you go back to chapter four you don't need to turn there but uh it's the storm at sea and they say master don't you care where's your companion? don't you care that we're about to perish and so he gets up and rebukes the wind the storm dies down And he says, why are you timid? How is it that you have no faith? And their response was that they were very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? They're getting a glimpse of who Jesus is. And then in the next chapter, you have Jairus, the synagogue's daughter, sick to the point of death. She dies. Jesus goes there and says she's not dead. She's sleeping. They laugh at him. He raises her back to life. The disciples know that's happened. You go to chapter 6. They've seen the feeding of the 5,000. They're involved in it. And you wonder how quickly they forget. How could they forget? Israel of old was no different. Back in the coming out of Egypt, the Exodus, God delivers them. They were between the rock and the hard place, the seas there, the army of Pharaoh marching down upon them, and God opens the sea and delivers them. And here's what they did. After they said, The Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, The P, here's their response, they feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And three days later, in the wilderness, they get to a place called Mehran, the water's bitter, and they said, where are we going to get any water? The God who just did something with water made it stand up in a heap so they could cross the sea, and yet how quickly we forget, but the disciples are no better. In fact... They didn't have Moses leading, they had the Son of God in the flesh leading them, and they'd seen his miracles, they'd been with him, and they still say, where can we possibly get enough food to get out of this problem? How could we fix it? But we don't need to look at these, I just need to look in the mirror, and so do you, to see that we're really not any different. Uh, We have all these needs that... um, And problems in life, and again, I don't minimize them, but we face them, and sometimes we wonder, how. how, there's just no light at the end of the tunnel. How are we going to get out of this? How is it going to possibly get any better? When all along, again, it's not to minimize the struggle, but what we need to do is keep our eyes on Jesus. Not like Peter, look at the waves, but like Peter should have done, look at the Lord Jesus, the master of the waves, and know that he will keep his word, that he will get us through. J.C. Ryle said, we must never allow ourselves to doubt Christ's power to supply the spiritual wants of all his people. It says, He has bread enough and to spare for every soul that trusts in Him. He has bread enough and to spare for every soul that trusts in Him. Weak, infirm, corrupt, empty as believers feel themselves, let them never despair while Jesus lives. And yet, I sometimes do, and you probably do too, we do despair, we do get anxious, we do see the problems, and it's not that we're not trusting Christ for our salvation and, you know, we've forsaken our faith or anything like that, but it's easy to get anxious and worried when the Bible says don't be anxious about anything, but truly to cast our care upon him because he does, he really does care, he, he helps, but sometimes we think, you know, there's no way out of this short of a miracle, but isn't that the good news? What's wrong with that? Miracles still happen. I don't know if they happen like they do in the Bible. They may be in some parts of the world. We can't put God in a box and tell him what he can and can't do. Well, what was the purpose of a miracle that attested to the power and glory of God? But he did it for the good of his people. What would you have me to do? Jesus, son of David, we want to see. They had a need. The miracle was to deliver them and give them sight. My daughter's sick unto death, and he delivered her from death. The multitude's hungry and without food. He uses a miracle to deliver them. Always, that's what he's doing. The psalmist says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers. There's that miraculous deliverance of them all. And the greatest of all is, is what this supper represents. The deliverance, as been alluded to it, of our sins being forgiven and salvation through Jesus Christ by his redeeming work. And so, this is what we know. That he who fed the multitude cares for you and me. Every bit as much. Say it again. He who fed the multitude cares for you and me every bit as much. Paul says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, because, really, because God is for us, who or what can be against us? And you know how it goes. He said, he who spared not his own son, but freely delivered him. How will he not in him freely give us, again, all things that we need? One who will satisfy, when we look to him, we're satisfied. And we need to apply that, that truth I'm going to close with that, but we need to apply that truth to every circumstance of life, the hard things, the midnight hour of the soul, those places, and you may be there right now, where, again, life seems to be going down the toilet and you don't see any way out. And that happens, Grief, Christians, as non-Christians as well, said, "I don't minimize that, but the question at the end of the day is not, what is it that I'm suffering, and what is it that I need? Though the suffering may be very real and great and the need may be tremendous. I'm not, again, minimizing that. But the question is not so much what am I suffering, what do I need, but will I trust him? Will I really trust him who loved me enough to go to the cross in my place? Because he will not fail. He does have bread enough and to spare. He says, I am the bread of life. When you eat the bread that I give, you'll never hunger again. Until the woman at the well, he said, if you drink the water I have, you'll never thirst again. Will we trust him? Do we trust him? We're sinners who stand before a holy God who deserve to be in hell, and Christ offers us heaven's bounty. God, give us grace not to settle for a famine. Father, we cannot thank you enough for the gift of your son, and in him, every gift that we'll ever need. None we will deserve but none we can lose because of Christ Jesus. Prepare our hearts to come and commune with him who gave the greatest gift of all. And give us hearts that trust you. We're like the disciples. We're like Israel of old. Father, we easily lose sight of the faith that we ought to have in you and resting in you. It's so easy to take our eyes off of you and onto ourselves and our problems. Our problems are real, and we pray for your help in those problems. But more than that, we pray that we'll rest in your presence and live for your glory. And we thank you in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.